0: we come to our fifth and final study of Psalm 78, passing on God's word to the next generation. Because obedience brings blessing and disobedience brings curses, the psalmist challenges us to pass on God's word to the next generation, to challenge the next generation to obey God's law and not forget his works. This is a theme we see throughout all of the scripture from the beginning of the Torah in Deuteronomy 6, 6 to 7. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. There's our responsibility to pass on God's word to the next generation. And not just passing on head knowledge, but passing on a head knowledge that will dictate and control their life. It is a life submission to God's word. Again, in the, in the book of Proverbs, we find many instructions from a father to a son or a mother to a son and telling them, this is how God expects you to behave. This is how God expects you to live. If you want God's blessing in your life, do this. But if you do that, which God has not commanded, you'll suffer the consequence. And, of course, in Ephesians 6 and verse 4, we see there's a responsibility to bring up the next generation in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Now, obviously, all of this circles around that great promise of Proverbs, train up a child in the way they should go, and when they are old, they will not depart from it. And we've pointed out several things, and let's just recap some of those. First of all, there's a responsibility to train Now, this is written specifically to parents, but it can be applied to anyone in a position of spiritual maturity who is mentoring someone in their care. So, you know, perhaps you don't have a physical son or daughter in which you're training, but you have a spiritual son or daughter. Or maybe you're a grandparent with a grandchild, or an aunt or an uncle with a niece or a nephew, but you're in that position of influence, of mentorship. It a responsibility to train them. And that, that training doesn't, again, just mean, well, I read them a Bible verse. It doesn't mean, well, I took them to church, or I had them in Sunday school, or I had them in children's church, or I put them in a Christian school, or I did this, or I did that. No, no, no. Training is you engaging. It is the parental responsibility of engaging your children in God's word so as to shape their behavior their way of living. I gave an illustration uh, in one of the previous lessons on Psalm 78. That is the example of discipline. When we discipline a child, it's not just, well, you did wrong and here's the punishment. Part of training involves discipline, and that discipline is sitting that child down and explaining from God's word why what they've done is wrong. You know, again, when we think of discipline, uh, God disciplines those he loves. Why? Because the principle throughout Scripture is a loving father, a loving parent, a loving mother disciplines their child, trains their child. And again, that training, that disciplining can be punishing them, uh, instructing them when they've done wrong. But it also should be disciplining or instructing them before they do wrong. Thus says the Lord, don't do this. And here's why. Here's the consequences. Now, we train up a child, when do they stop being a child? Well, really never. So long as you draw breath and you're the parent, they're the child. And, and again, even in a spiritual setting, you're always going to be the more spiritually mature individual, so you're, they're always going to be your spiritual child. So there's always going to be a responsibility of disciplining. Now, that disciplining may change over time with, with, with growth and maturity. But there's always a responsibility to train. Then it says, train up a child in the way he should go. Well, that means there's a way that is right. There's a way that is wrong. Proverbs tells us there's a way that seemeth right, but the end is destruction. And as we see in Matthew, there are two ways. There's a narrow way and there's a broad way. The narrow way goes through the narrow gate, the broad way through the wide or the broad gate. Again, which path are you setting them on. And then it says, and when they are old, they will not depart from it. Now, there's a wide gap there, isn't there? There's a very wide gap. There's a time when that child may be a rebel, when that child may rebel and go against the training. But if you have properly trained them before a holy God, then you can claim that promise that when they're old, sadly, that may not be in your lifetime, but when they are old, they will not Depart from it. And so here in Psalm 78, we see an example of training that next generation, passing on God's word to the next generation. Verses 1 through 4 begins with a call. Listen, O my people, to my instruction. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings of old. That's Proverbs, which we have heard and known, and our fathers have told us. We will not conceal them from their children, but tell to the generation to come the praises of the Lord and his strength and his wondrous works that he has done. Here is the call to pass on God's word. The call. Listen, incline your ears. Here's your ear. Here's God telling you what you must do. You must pass on those dark saints of old, those proverbs of old, those lessons of old. Those lessons come from the scriptures. You have heard them. You have known them. Your fathers have told you. Now don't you conceal them from your children. Tell, declare. The praises of the Lord and what he has done. Verse 5 to 8, he established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers that they should teach them to their children. That takes us right back to the Deuteronomy passage that we read, Deuteronomy 6, 6 to 7. Here's the command to pass on God's word. He said, he continues on that generation. To come, might know even the children yet to be born, that they may arise and tell them to their children that they should put their confidence in God and not forget the works of God, but keep His commandments and not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation that did not prepare its heart. Here's the command to pass on God's word. There has been, in times past, generations who have not passed on God's word, who have been stubborn and rebellious, and perhaps your father, your mother was like that. And if that's the case, that is not an excuse for you. You must break that cycle, you must learn God's word, and you must pass it on to the next generation, so that even the generation that has not yet been born will know God's commands and how and why to obey them. This is a command. This is a thus says the Lord. We cannot falter. We cannot fail in this command. And then the psalmist, beginning in verse 9, begins a series of cautionary uh, statements. And, and it's very interesting because each of these cautions builds on the next. And these are examples of taking the scripture and teaching it to the next generation, so so here's a formula, here's a foundation for you to use as you're training up that next generation. Number one, you need to caution them, beware of forgetting God's word and works. For Beware of forgetting God's word and works, verse 9 to 11. The sons of Ephraim were archers equipped with bows, yet they turned back in the day of battle. They did not keep the covenant of God. They refused to walk in his law. They forgot his deeds and miracles that he had shown them. They forgot God's word and works. Caution two, verse 12 to 20. Beware of testing God's word and works. So don't forget God's word and works now. Don't test God's word and works. He wrought wonders before their fathers in the land of Egypt in the field of Zoan. He divided the sea and caused them to pass through. He made the water stand up like a heap. Then he led them with a cloud by day, and all night with a light of fire. He split the rocks in the wilderness. He gave them abundant drink like the ocean depths. He brought forth streams also from the rock, and caused waters to run down like rivers. Yet they still continued to sin against him, to rebel against the Most High in the desert. And in their heart they put God to the test by asking food according to their desire. Then... They spoke against God. They said, can God prepare a table in the wilderness? Behold, he struck the rocks, so the waters gushed out and streams were overflowing. Can he give bread also? Will he provide a meat for his people? And here they tested God's word and work. Now why did they test? Because they forgot. We have a third caution in verses 21 to 33. Beware of doubting God's word and works. Beware of doubting God's word and works. Therefore the Lord heard and was full of wrath. A fire was kindled against Jacob. Anger also mounted against Israel because they did not believe in God and did not trust in his salvation. Yet he commanded the clouds above and opened the doors of heaven. He rained down manna upon them to eat and gave them food from heaven. Man did eat the bread of angels. He sent them food in abundance. He caused the east wind to blow in the heavens and by his power he directed the south wind. When he rained meat upon them like the dust, he even winged fowls like the sands of the sea. Then he let them fall in the midst of their camp, round about their dwellings. So they ate and were filled, and their desire he gave to them. Before they had satisfied their desire, while food was still in their mouths, the anger of God arose against them and killed some of their stoutest ones and subdued the choice men of Israel. In spite of all this, they still sinned and did not believe in his wonderful works. So he brought their days to an end in futility and their years in sudden terror. Verses 34 to 39, we have a fourth caution. Beware of deceiving God. They forgot God. They tested God's word. Now, they da- then they doubted God's word. Now, they've, they're deceiving God. Notice the progression. When he killed them, then they sought him and returned and sought, searched diligently for God. Then they remembered that God was their rock and the Most High God their Redeemer, but... They deceived him with their mouth and lied to him with their tongue, for their heart was not steadfast. They gave him outward lip service, but not life service. They were not faithful in his covenant, but he, being compassionate, forgave their iniquity, did not destroy them, and often he restrained his anger. This is grace and mercy, folks, and did not arouse all his wrath. Thus he remembered that they were but flesh, a wind that passes and does not return. And then we come to a fifth caution, a fifth caution. Beware of grieving God, grieving God. And of course, as I said last time, this reminds us of that, old, of that New Testament admonition. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Verse 40 to 55, how often they rebelled against him and grieved him. When we rebel against God's word, we're grieving the Holy Spirit. And again again they tempted God and pain, the Holy One of Israel. They did not remember his power. There we go. They forgot God's word and works. The day when he redeemed them from the adversary, when he performed his signs in Egypt and his marvels in the field of Zoan and turned their rivers to blood and their streams they could not drink. He sent among them swarms of fly which devoured them, frogs which destroyed them, gave their crops to the grasshopper and the product of their labor to the locust. He destroyed their vines with hailstones and their sycamore trees with frost. He gave over Their cattle also to the hailstones, and their herds to bolts of lightning. He sent them up to his burning anger, fury and indignation and trouble, a band of destroying angels. He leveled a path for his anger. He did not spare their soul from death, but gave over their life to the plague, and smote all the firstborn in Egypt, the first issue of their virility in the tents of Ham. But he led forth his own people like sheep and guided them in the wilderness like a flock. He led them safely so they did not fear, but the sea engulfed their enemies. So he brought them to his holy land, to, to the hill country, which his right-handed gained. He drove out the nation before them and apportioned them for an inheritance by measure and made them the tribes of Israel to dwell in their tents. Listen, friends, we need to remember what God does to those who rebel against him. If you grieve God, this is a principle we need to pass on. You rebel against God, you forget his word, you doubt his word, you test God, you're going to grieve him, there's going to be a consequence of plague. Then there is a fifth caution in verses 56 to 64, beware of provoking God. Yet they tempted and rebelled against the Most High God and did not keep his testimonies, but turned back and acted treacherously like their fathers. They turned aside like a treacherous bow, for they provoked him with their high places and aroused his jealousy with their graven images. When God heard, he was filled with wrath and greatly abhorred Israel so that he abandoned the dwelling place at Shiloh, the tent which he had pitched among them, and gave up his strength to captivity and his glory into the hand of adversary. He also delivered his people to the sword and was filled with wrath as his inheritance. Fire devoured his young men. His virgins had no wedding songs. His priests fell by the sword, and his widows could not weep. Beware of provoking God. Listen, look, look at the pattern there. It begins with forgetting God's word. This is the consequence here, folks. If we do not train up our children in the way they should go, they're not just going to forget God's word. They're going to test God's word. They're going to doubt God's word. They're going to deceive God. They're going to grieve God. And then they're going to provoke God. And be not deceived. What a man sows, that will he reap, Galatians 6, 7 says. If we provoke God, there is a sure Punishment to be felt, to experience. In verse 65 to 66, now we come to our sixth and final caution. Then the Lord awoke as if from sleep. Like a warrior overcome by wine, he drove his adversaries backwards. He put them in an everlasting reproach. Here's the last caution. Beware of God's judgment. Folks, God is righteous. He is sovereign. In his sovereignty, he used the pagan nations as a rod of judgment against Israel. Israel as a nation forsook God. God raised up nations against them. God sent plagues against them. God did whatever was necessary to punish his people because he loved them. Now, you might not think that's love. But if you truly love someone, you do what is best for them even if it re, even if it results in harsh and difficult consequences because you want to keep them from going down the path of destruction. If someone's walking across the street and a a truck is bearing down on them and they don't see the truck, they don't hear the truck, you run out and push them out of the way. Now, in pushing them out of the way, they might fall down. They might break an arm. They they might bump their head. You know, there might be consequences of that. But let me tell you, friends, those consequences of that broken arm and that bumped head are going to be far better than had they been run down by that truck and killed. Perspective. It's all about perspective. God's judgments on Egypt shows that God will not allow those nations who he rises up to punishes people. He'll not allow them to go unpunished. Now, listen, this is crazy. So, Israel disobeyed God, God in turn caused these other nations to rise up and punish Israel, but then because of his puni- of of his blessings to Israel, of his word of his promise to Israel, and God cannot not keep his word, he in turn now punishes those nations. He punished Egypt. He punished Assyria. He punished Babylon. And that's what we see here. The psalmist boldly shows us that God is a mighty man. He's a warrior who awakes and goes on a rampage, literally shouting for joy because of wine, verse 65. He beats back his enemies. He makes them a reproach forever so that their name and memory are scorned. But again, we have a great lesson here. Beware of God's judgment. Don't think, oh, I've gotten away with this. Nothing's happened, that nothing isn't ever going to happen. Beware of God's judgment. And now we close in verse 67 to 72 with a commendation. We began with a call. We continued with a command. And then we saw many cautions that we need to tell to the next generation about passing on God's word. Here's some cautions. Here's some principles to pass on. But now we come to a commendation. Here's the commendation for when you pass on God's word to the next generation. Verse 67 to 72, God blesses those who remember his word and works. He also rejected the tent of Joseph. He did not choose the tribe of Ephraim, but chose the tribe of Judah, Mount Zion, which he loved. And he built his sanctuary like the heights, like the earth which he founded forever. He also chose David, his servant, and took him from the sheepfolds. From the care of the ewes with the suckling lamb, he brought them to the shepherd Jacob, his people, and Israel, his inheritance. So he shepherded them according to the integrity of his heart, and he guided them with skillful hands. Here we come to our conclusion. You know, all through redemptive history, we see God choosing one and rejecting the other. Esau and Jacob. Here we have the tents of Joseph and the tribe of, Eshum, of Ephraim. Now, the tent of Joseph, that, that is where the, uh, that's a reference to where the tabernacle had previously dwelled in the land of Shiloh. Shiloh had been in the uh, lands that had been given to the sons of Joseph. The tribe of Ephraim, of course. Ephraim was one of the sons of Joseph. Uh, They're set aside. Their, their, Their time of prominence has passed. And now God selects Judah, Mount Zion, to be where his temple will be built and where he will dwell as it's patterned after the temple in heaven. This promise will ultimately be fulfilled here in the New Jerusalem. When New Jerusalem comes down from heaven in Revelation 21, verse 3, when the tabernacle of God will be with men. We'll see the actual fulfillment here of verses 67 to 72. Uh, David, David the shepherd. Uh, God chose David, his servant, took him out of the sheepfold and made him king over the people. He took a servant and made him king. And what a pattern we see there. Doesn't that point to Christ? Christ is a shepherd in his first advent, but when he comes again, he will come as what? As king, and God will set him up over his people. David cared for God's people according to the integrity of his heart. Boy, that's a contrast, wasn't it? Think about Paul, uh, of uh, Saul, King Saul. He did not re- re- reign according to the integrity of his heart. He reigned according to the integrity of his pleasure. And so we got a clear contrast. Paul, Saul did not set his heart aright. His spirit wasn't faithful to God, but David's heart was right. His spirit was Faithful to God. And so we see here that there's God is making a choice. He's looking down at the next generation, and he's going to choose to bless some, and he's going to choose to curse others. And the choice will come down to what you have done, whether or not you have trained them up, whether or not you have passed on God's word to the next generation, if you've properly trained them up, when they're old, they will not depart from it. They will walk the narrow way, and they will be blessed. But if you have failed to train them, they will not return. They're walking the broad way, and they will be cursed. God blesses those who remember his word. The contrast is he curses those who fail to remember his word. You know, what have, what have we learned here? Well, first we learn here that there is a chain of tradition. One generation must pass to the next generation, to the next generation, God's word. We also have seen here that the, that the words and work of God in judgment are sure. Okay? God, if God judged in the past, God will judge in the future. We have learned, though, that God will bless those who obey his word. But we also learn from the disobedient generation that God will Judge that rebellion. We see that God is sovereign over all things. There's an old saying, I'm sure everyone's heard it those who fail to learn from history are bound to repeat it. You know, the beautiful thing is, God does not change. He does not change. And really, history doesn't change. It's, 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 it's a cycle, it's a pattern that's why we see all through the Bible pattern after pattern after pattern and, and you can go through the scriptures man that's just like this event which was just like this event which was just like this event that's because history just continues in the same cycle and if we don't learn from history we will repeat the same mistakes of the past we also, let's keep in mind here when we think about that 1 Peter 4.17 judgment begins in the house of God judgment begins right here in the church friend right here amongst believers. So believer, let's examine ourselves. Let's, let's look and see, man, am I training properly? And, and let me say this. If you're looking back before a holy God and you're saying, man, I failed. Listen, don't sit there and throw your hands up and say, well, it's too late. You draw breath. Your child draws breath. It's not too late. You start training. Well, they might think I'm crazy. Let them think you're crazy. Listen. The people in, in, the, in the wilderness thought Joshua and Caleb were crazy, we saw how that ended. Joshua and Caleb entered the promised land. That generation died in the wilderness. God is not mocked. We will sow what we reap, Galatians 6, 7. That's a principle. Man, let me tell you something. From the moment your child is able to understand right from wrong, yes and no, start with that principle. Start with that principle of Galatians 6, 7. Let's hope in God. Let's not forget his work. And let's not forget our responsibility. Let's pass on to the next generation God's word so that they not make the mistakes that those have in the past. These things are written, Paul says, for your learning, for your instruction. Father God, Lord, we come to you through the grace and mercy given to us by your son, Jesus. And Father, we're so thankful for that grace and mercy, because Lord, we deserve so much than what so so much judgment, so much wrath, than what we have received. But you, who are rich in grace and mercy, have uh, have provided a way of escape, have removed us from your wrath, and we thank you, Lord. You are the great and the mighty God. We see throughout this psalm your mighty hand at work. We see here, Father, that uh, your word is true and sure, and that Father. You, you do not sleep nor slumber. You, you do not turn a blind eye to wickedness. And indeed, you have promised to bless those who are obedient, but to curse those who are disobedient. And Father, when we begin to realize that responsibility that falls upon us, that our children could be cursed because of our failure to train. Oh, Father, what a great burden that should place upon our hearts. It should cause us grief, perhaps even some sleepless nights as we cry out to you for forgiveness, but as we cry out for you for grace and for mercy. Father, we we repent and ask your forgiveness for our failures, for our shortcomings. For all those times, Father, we have not passed on to the next generation your word. For all of those times, we have not taught them the precepts and principles of your word. Father, I pray, Lord, that you might renew our strength and you might work within us to stir us To, Father, let the past go, look to the future, and recommit ourselves to training that generation. While we draw breath, Father, we have this great responsibility, this call, and this command to pass on your word. And, Father, I pray that you might give us that opportunity again. We pray for the next generation. We pray that, Lord, they might hear your word, that they might know your word, and that, Father, they might come to live your word. We give you the praise, we give you the glory for that precious promise that when we train, they will, in their old days, return to that sure foundation. And for this, we give you thanks and say, Amen.